0: Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and chavruta, your Dana Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachat Yuma, Daf Nun Bet, page fifty-two. So our daf is going to get to the Mishnah, as we told you, we're going to get there. But before that, I just want to make a quick comment on uh, something at the very top of the daf, which is really commenting on the Gemara that we saw the other day, yesterday, I guess, right? Which is talking about the Kohen Gadol and the Heichal, the sanctuary, and the Kodesh Kodashim, and how he gets from the one to the next and whether it's one curtain or two curtains or whether he's got an amat to traverse or not the discussion here is about whether he's approaching the Kodesh kodeshim directly meaning he's walking straight to the Kodesh kodeshim or he's kind of getting there in a circuitous route where he he and we will see as we go through the daf that the the path he takes is a little bit more roundabout than that and the gemara here says you know you know isn't that more appropriate that it's a you know a little more um, cautious or a little more respectful to approach in a slow manner. But and Rabbi Yossi says no; he doesn't have to take a circuitous route. He says the Jewish people are beloved by God, meaning the idea is that the there's no requirement to be to have a shaliach. What's a shaliach? Any kind of inter intermediary, an angel, or I don't know anybody who's going to intervene between the direct. Jewish people and God. Now, meaning you can just go directly. You don't need a circuitous route to get there. You don't need an indirect approach. And then Rabbi Nami Neul Ben Menorah Maana, Ma'ane. Right. The idea is that the the indirect approach, you know, according to Rabbi Yehuda, is actually a, a nicer way to do it. And we see that indeed the Kohen Gadol will walk, you know, indirectly between the Menorah and the wall itself. Right. And then, but then there's a concern that maybe he's going to get his clothes black if there's any soot there left from the menorah. So there's a discussion here that go that is purely logistical. What is the Kohen God all supposed to do? How is he going to walk? But the, the part that I find interesting is that even in the midst of this logistics, the Gemara springboards off of this to say, you know what? I mean, it's Rabbi Yossi, right? He says, you know what? Ben Israel can approach God directly. And what I find particularly interesting is that this is the least direct approach to, ha- ha- Barucho, to God that the B'nai Israel ever do because the Kohen Gadol himself is their emissary, right? But the idea is that, like, well, he might be representing them on behalf of everybody, but the principle of going directly to God that he can go directly to the Kodesh Kodeshim is that the implication is that everybody can go directly, which is obviously Rabbi Yossi's theology, right? But But he's, I don't know which came first, but he's talking about it here in the context of Again, something that seems very logistical, and yet he springboards off of it to make a really important, uh, again, philosophical theological statement about
1: um, the connection and the relationship to God. It's one of those little nuggets that you just like find sometimes in a daf, right? We're having discussion about what path they take, and you're sort of like, well, why is that like really important? And then, you know, the Gemara very explicitly, I think, and that's something we try to do is sort of try to find the underlying you know, maybe theological or ethical teachings with some of the discussions, here's one that's really explicit to us, um, you know, that, you know, each one of these have a different, tanaim, have a different opinion to teach us something different. Um, I'm going to move on to, we get back to our question about this ama, um, that sort of separated the Heichal from the Kaddish Kedoshim and this confusion about, you know, is it more Heichal Kedusha or is it more, um, is it more uh, Kaddish Kedoshim- uh, Kedusha, and so the Gemara, you know, tries to sort of go through this a little bit more, um, and quotes, uh, you know, some sukim to see if they can actually prove this um, or not prove this, um, and they basically end up by saying, uh, you know, they quote this particular um, uh, teaching uh, by a um, Yosef, uh, you know, by a Yosef Ish Um, and where he uses a particular verse of Malachim Aleph, uh, chapter 6, verse 19. And so the question is, based on that pasuk, it's not clear exactly, right, that when Shlomo, you know, builds the Beit HaMikdash and, uh, you know, divides it into these two areas, right, where does it go? Does it go to one side or to the other side? And so therefore, what we come to conclude here is, is that, you know, basically, the, the Chachamim, the rabbis, also had a doubt you know, wh- where does it actually go to? Because even in Bayat reshown, there was a question about what it was. So in by Cheney, there also was a little bit of a question. And so then the, so the Clark- thing,
0: I, so I just, I, I hope I'm not preempting you. The, the thing I find so interesting here is I feel like it's exactly how, maybe there's real estate all over the world, but certainly in Israel, when you come to measure your apartment, right? And every meter counts. And the question of what you have to pay Arnona, the municipality taxes on the apartment. And the question is, do the walls, count like do you are you talking about the perimeter of the apartment or is the walls you know the walls inside do they do they count to that sum total or do you deduct them from the sum total and i feel like this is the question about the ama i mean lahav deal obviously it's not it's a it's a holy question right but when we're talking about, is it within the perimeter of the whole thing or is it excluded from it and and then
1: where do you get that amah? Right, but I so I would frame it differently. I think you brought like a cutie, you know, example of it. But I think it's when we're talking about sacred spaces, right, or designation of sanctity in space, you know, where, where do you count that space? And so, you know, is it part of the perimeter? Or is it just what's inside? And I think that's really what they're sort of teasing out here. But your your example was an excellent one. I mean, right? it's just like I we mean, all know I, with real estate, like, how do you count the actual, you know, square footage or meters of a space?
0: And it goes back to what we said before that we're talking here. There is something very um, logistical, specific details, meter not meters, but you know, amot, right? How many amot are in this space? This is part of the description of the of the heicha. Like that, it's not. We don't have to guess that we're told how big it is. So then the question is, where is that ama in the count?
1: Right, exactly. So now the Gemara goes on, and here I'll actually read umi mispakale. Right? Was Yossi of Hotzil? Was he really? in doubt about how to read this particular pasuk that we just talked about from Malacham Aleph, uh, Paragvam. Vahat Now say they quote a b'risa. Isi ben Yehuda Omer, chamesh mikraot batara, ein hechreah. Right? That Isi ben Yehuda says that there are five verses in the Torah, basically whose grammar cannot be determined. Each, you know, each of these pasukim has a phrase that could either be linked to an earlier phrase or to a later phrase, clear exactly what they are. And so then they go ahead and list the five. Now, again, I won't go through just for the sake of time, the exact five Sukim, but these, you know, uh, two of them are from uh, Bereshi, two are from Shmote and one is from Devarim and any Gemara that any of you use that has the references will, you know, have a lot more explanation just it's, it's out of our, I could give a whole 45 minute class just on this price itself, right? So the words, uh, se'ed, the word that's the one from uh, Bereshit chapter 4, verse 7, Mishu Kadim, uh, right engraved like almonds basically. Um, so that is in uh, Shmot, uh, chapter 25, verse 34, Machar, which is Shmot, chapter 17, uh, verse 9. This is when Moshe is speaking to Yoshua. Um, then the next one, it's, it's interesting also that it's not listed, um, in order of how it appears, which I think is structurally interesting, uh, uh, which has to do with Yaakov's final bracha that he gives to Shimon and Levi, who exactly is being cursed there. Um, and that's in chapter 49, verse, uh, seven. And then the last one is Vikam, which appears in Devarim chapter 31, verse 16. And so, you know, these are five specific psukim. And again, I encourage everybody to look them up and see that it's not clear exactly what those words, which phrase they're exactly referring to. Um, and then they quote another b'risa, Bahatanya, who Yosef Ishotzel, who Yosef Hababli. So Yosef uh, Ishotzel, who was quoted before, is also known sometimes as Yosef Hababli, who Isi ben Yehuda. He also is known as Isi ben Yehuda, who Isi ben gor who also could be known as gor who Isi ben Gamliel, who also could be known as Isi ben Gamliel who E.C. Ben Mahalal, who also could be known as E.C. Ben mahalal So this was a person who had many different name, nicknames. Umash Shimo, what was his real name? E.C. Ben, um, e. ben Akiva Shmo. So his real name was E.C. Ben Akiva. And all of these have to do with uh, sort of a different quality, let's say, to his father. Because if you notice, what's changing is the, what's primarily cha- changing is the, the Ben part which is very, very interesting. Um, but the point here is to say that before we said Yosef, uh, Ish, uh Hitziel had, you know, a doubt about how to imp- interpret this pasuk from uh, Malachim Aleph, right? But then we quoted a brysa that said that Issi ben Yehuda says there's only five sukim that the grammar is not so clear of. And then we have another brysa saying that Yosef, Ish and Issi ben Yehuda are the same person. So basically... You know, how could it be that he didn't understand this pasuk in, in uh, Malachim Aleph? So the Gemara basically says, B'du'araita leka, right? This, when he made the statement, Isi ben Yehuda, that there were five pasukim, we were talking about only the Torah itself. The but with the books of the prophets, meaning in Nevi'im, there are many ambiguous verses and many verses that we don't totally um, understand them. So then the Gemara goes on to say, writes leka, Right. In other words, are you really going to tell me there's no other, you know, sukim where we're not totally clear what they mean? And so now they're going to bring an example that Ravchista brings up and he quotes here pasuk. Again, I'm not going to go into what the grammatical issue of it is. Right? So here we're quoting a series of psukim, a, a pasuk from Shemot, chapter 24, verse 5. Right. And basically, the questioner is, and so the question is, when it says, Ola and Shlamim are both, were both of them apart. Again, I won't get into all the particulars, but the point is more is that Ravchista teaching a sixth verse where he's not totally clear what, the, what it's referring to. And so the Gemara basically answers, right? Ravchista, he thought that maybe the understanding of this verse was questionable. But to EC Ben Yehuda, it was obvious what the meaning was. And he, you know, they don't, what's interesting is they don't tell you what interpretation EC Ben Yehuda has, because I guess the Gemara itself is writing this is not sure, right? Um, you know, what was the obvious interpretation to it? But obviously this was not one of the five of Isi, um Ben Yehuda. So I, I think there's just so much to unpack here. But, you know, the basic premise here that there are certain sort of, let's say, sukim in the Torah itself, which we sort of acknowledge are just difficult to interpret, um, you know, I think may be shocking to people. Like, I think we want to say that the Torah Shabbat is always very clear, or always has a good way to understand it. And here we have this price that says, no, we, we have five examples in the Torah where interpretation is actually difficult. Um, and, you know, to acknowledge that, I think is actually pretty bold.
0: Um, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm thinking only five, right? Meaning in terms of ambiguity of, of syntactical ambiguity in the text, there's, we could find many more if we are, uh, you know, going to do close readings of the biblical text. And certainly the we should do this, right? Meaning we all know of interpretations, let's say, I don't know where there's a difference of different dispute of interpretation by Rashi and Ramban or Ibn Ezra, whoever, right, where what they're focusing on is in fact paying attention to very slight interpretations, you know, very slight shifts in in the text that can make a a massive difference of interpretation. Um, So I think it's interesting that Yoshi Yoshi Ish Hutzal finds five of them, right, and perhaps these are the most unresolvable, um, you know, ambiguities. I think that's. I think that's what be, but but at the end of the day, I feel like at, and it's only five, you know, because because those of us who have been trained in learning Tanakh and Chumash specifically, right? The learning from the Torah and the and Parshanuta Mikra interpretation of the text, we find ourselves, I think, you know, mired in the different potential ambiguities of of different rabbinic interpretations of, in fact, that same biblical text. I, I think it's wonderful. I mean, I, I like this Gemara tremendously. I think the fact that the Gemara is going to identify these five and then, you know, spend some time, certainly the commentaries on the Gemara here spend some time explaining. You might think it was this way or you might think it was that way. And we don't have a resolution of which is going to be more convincing. We, the Gemara, are, are you know, left in limbo in terms of re- resolving, which is going to be more definitive. So I, I think it's fantastic. I just want to also comment. Well,
1: just, on. And one thing I want to say, I, you know, we, we it is worth the time for everybody. And again, I just I felt like we didn't have time to do it. Go through each of those sukim just to see what they are, because each one of them is very the reading is very interesting.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I just want to mention that the Hutzal, this, this He's an Ish Hutzal. This is a place as far as I know, because in Shabbos in Messacha Shabbat, where we saw, there are Anche Hutzal who would wear, carry, wear their baskets on their head. And and the, the comment there is Anche Hutzal would do this. Um I mean, I'm not even sure I can re- recall all the details of the context of where we saw that, but I I'm attuned to this name of the place as a place. Um and in my I don't know if you had poked me and asked where is this. I might have thought that it was somewhere more African because they're carrying baskets on their head. But I, it also might be somewhere Arabia, you know, Mesopotamia, whatever, um, or even as he's called, you know, the ba- Babylonian. Maybe it's really not far away. Maybe it's a much more um, more local locale uh, that has this name. I want to go on and do this Mishnah that we talked about already. It's um, again a logistical Mishnah. But it's actually the one where we're talking, where it presents for us the potential roundabout way that the Kohen Gadol is walking to get to from the Heichal, from the sanctuary, to the Kodesh Kodashim, the Holy of Holies. So there's an outer court curtain, which again we've already talked about the question of whether there's one or there's two. But here it's describing an outer curtain that is between the Heichal and the Kodesh Kodashim, and it was hooked. It had hooks, and it opened slightly to the south. That's the Darom. And then there's a northern, um, the inner curtain is is hooked open slightly at the northern side. So what does he do? He walks, um, I'm trying to visualize it, right? He walks from the south side of the heichal. He goes through between the curtains to get to the north side. So it's kind of like a loop between these curtains. Um, And that's exactly the question of like, well, isn't that a roundabout way to go where you could just like, if you didn't have any curtains there, you could just go straight. Um, so he's walking basically, he enters at one end and he walks the length of the curtain until he gets to the exit at the other end. And then he's already going to into the Kodesh Kodeshim. Um, so he turns himself around. When he gets to the northern end edge of the of the curtain, he turns himself around. He turn, He turns his face to the south and he um moves like towards on his left towards his left um with that same curtain until he gets to the iron until he reaches the Aaron itself, um which is really where he's you know when he where he's going trying to get to when he gets there he puts that cold pan that he's been holding all this time between. The two the two badim, these two um I don't know how to translate this. I see a translation that says staves. Okay. Um the two um sections there, I guess. He puts the incense on top of the coals, Vinid Kohabai Kulo Ashan. And the whole beta, it says the whole chamber, right? The whole by it, but it doesn't mean the whole Beit Hamikdash. I mean that whole section there is going to be filled with smoke because he's smoking Ketorah, That's what's happening here. Yatsa uvalo baderach Beit Kenisato, and then he goes out. Right, he goes out the way he entered. Right, but the point is that he's not turning around, um, and you know, leaving the Kodesh he, He's leaving the Kodesh while he's still facing the arrow. Meaning he's moving physically um, the way he came in. But he's but he's still facing, I guess, the holiness right of the iron and the kodesh kodeshim. <inaudible> he prays a short prayer once he gets to the external area, which is the sanctuary. Really, <inaudible> he did not daven for, he did not pray for a long time here, and the reason given, I think, is very poignant. <inaudible> He doesn't want, he doesn't, Lola Vita Yisrael means he doesn't want to frighten or alarm B'nai Israel. He doesn't want them to think, God forbid, he died in there, right? And if he's taking too long to come out, then then people are going to be antsy. Even if they know to be patient, we know people would be antsy. Everybody would be antsy, even during a short time. So it's fully appropriate that he stop for a moment to pray, but he's going to keep it short in in deference or consideration of the entire Jewish people that are waiting for him to come out.
1: So I like this idea. And I'm we'll see what the Gemara does with this or if it does do anything with it with this idea of praying shortly. And I think, you know, the way we think about kavanah and praying and always spending a long time, this really teaches us something very contrary. But maybe we'll discuss that more if the Gemara has any comment about that. I honestly don't know because now you all know I'm not that prepped that far ahead. Um, but um, <laughs> you're not supposed to be. We're learning together. That's what that's we're doing. That's true, that's true. But I'm just gonna make two comments on the Gemara and again. This is just a long dot, and it's pretty straightforward Gamara. But I think you know, pay attention to this whole discussion about Yoshi and having to hide the Aron. Um, you know, because knowing and understanding that it was gonna be brought to Babel and so preemptively hides it. And I couldn't remember where, but we saw Gemara similar to this. Uh, earlier, I just don't remember where it was. I, I think it was in Psachim, but I could be wrong. It could have been Schkalem, but it was in the context of talking about the differences between by Rishon and by Cheney. So now I'm thinking it was in Schkalem. I just can't remember where. Um, and you know, so that's the first thing to pay attention to. And then you know, with the Gemara going through this whole discussion of, okay, is this Mishnah by Rishon? Is this Mishnah by Cheney? So first of all, the question is so fundamentally interesting because it's it's kind of implicit in that question that different Mishnahs could be describing different things. Like in other words, there's no, I don't know that it's asking a question, but the overall framework about Mishnah, right? Whenever Mishnah talks about uh, the Beit HaMikdash, it's always talking about by chain, or it's always talking about by Rishon. The structure of that question sort of implies that it could switch from Mishnah to Mishnah, and we just sort of have to figure out what it is, Mishnah to Mishnah. So I thought that was super interesting. Um, but the end of where it sort of ends up is basically like, yeah, it's just talking about where the Aaron should have been, right? Which says, right? No, the mission, of course, is talking about Migdashani, umayhi La Aaron. And what does it mean when it says he reached the ark? Yeah, it's just saying it's where the Aaron should have been, which I don't know. Which I just totally want to clarify
0: because I I feel like we're so entrenched in it. I just want to make sure that everybody remembers. I understand that we've talked about it before, but I didn't remember that we talked about it before, that the Aaron is no longer present in the second Beta Mikdash. Right. right. It's all. one of the differences between the first and the second. There's a diminishment of holiness. There's certain aspects that were, you know, the treat of the first Beta Mikdash that are just gone. And and we were bereft, you know, but better to have the Beta Mikdash, you know, bereft of these things. Most significantly, I think truly most significantly, the Aaron is gone. You don't right. have the arrow, then what do you
1: have, you know? Right, 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 um, which, is, which is a really important thing. And, you know, but even realize that Yoshiahu is not the last of the kings of does. Even the last couple of years by Rishon, it's not even there anymore, which is so the, even the more other thing, interesting and doesn't really get discussed.
0: Right. So the other thing I just want to comment on Yoshiahu, because, again, like if unless you have real expertise in the Sefer Malachi in the Book of Kings, I find it you know, often a challenge to keep everybody straight, and, and which king comes when? Yoshiao is not one of the earlier kings, right? But he is one of the better kings, and, and he's coming after a whole bunch of kings who have not done, you know, the, the Navi always says, you know, they did not do, as David, their, their forefather, I've quoted this before, right, that David HaMalach becomes the measuring stick for what it means to be a good king, and these people are not always you know towing that line Yoshiao kind of redeemed a whole bunch of generations of kings in his efforts to reform you know the entire people and bring them back to torah and one of the things he does of course is put the arrow in hiding for safekeeping because there are people who are worshiping on zara they're like off the derech in a in a, which is a you know not necessarily an appropriate phrase either, right? But I'm saying it tongue in cheek that the entire B'nai Israel were not living up to the expectations of David Hamelech. So I feel like
1: right, we and should give Yoshiao credit is, for this, right? Yoshia is also the one who finds that Torah scroll and everybody does Teshuvah, he's a very interesting king. So Spence, there's a lot, I'm giving everyone a lot of homework from this. Episode. <laughs> look him up and re- read about that. But you know, just to finish up the, the epi- you know, our learning here today, um, I think the answer that they give, which is like, yeah, it means the Makomaron, you know, for the amount of times that we see Gemara's where they pay very close attention to the language of the Mishnah, it's interesting that here there's almost giving an answer. It's just like, yeah, the language of the Mishnah is not so specific. It just means around the place of. But we tend to read Mishnah not way in many other passages of the Gemara where they take a specific word and they say, oh, we learned this from that because the Mishnah is worded that way. So I think it's interesting to see an example where the opposite is done.
0: That's our discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Thank you to Rabbi Mich- Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about all of this. And until tomorrow, go and learn.